You know, Wes, we've got this wonderful Apollo laptop here. This uh, here, uh, I got it uh, from Entraware as an extended test here. They sent it over, and I've uh, been using it now as the main show. Uh, and it's such a nice-looking laptop that I don't really want to put stickers on it because it feels like this laptop is going to outlive any one particular sticker. Totally. So then I thought, well, you know what I'll do is I'll get those vinyl sticker mats for the whole back of it the screen. It does have a nice, beautifully clean back. Yeah. So. And you know, so you just get one like roughly the shape of like a MacBook Pro right. or MacBook 13, whatever they're called. And I'll put the stickers on that. So I got a couple of different ones. And, you know, they take a little time to be made. So they're still getting delivered. The first one I got, I just wanted, you know, a canvas to put like cool stickers from FES on because when you go to these FES, you just get stickers abound. Yeah. So the first one I got is just a real nice. It's kind of hard to see. It's a, it looks a little blue because there's blue lighting in the studio, but it's just a wood grain uh, vinyl sticker. You see that there, Wes? Very tasteful. Just a nice wood grain. Oh yeah. Um, and I'll just I thought because it's brown, white stickers would really pop on this. Yeah, yeah definitely. So this is going to be one that I could take on and off, and these can be applied and removed and then reapplied. Uh, and then the other one I got because I thought it would maybe match my outfit very often on the Linux Action Show is a red plaid sticker. You yeah, see that? I got a red plaid for the back of the Apollo. So I can be wearing red plaid, and the Apollo can be red plaid, and it can be double red plaid and last now. So this my, is amazing, Chris. Yeah, I'm really happy about this one, too. So that'll be that'll be going on the back of the Apollo. That'll be the first one I'm rocking. I'm really excited for red Very plaid. Nice. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is Linux Unplugged, episode 136 for March 15th, 2016. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's getting in Lady Jupiter and going to pick up the ham radio. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. That's my plan, at least. We'll see. Ooh. The weekend before Linux Fest Northwest, I'm going to see if Noah wants to uh, take a road trip in Lady Jupiter and go pick up ham radio Do it. to help assemble the Linux Fest crew. Guess what, Wes? Big show today. Yeah, yeah. Huge we got show. A big show. Uh, you know, there's a few things we need to talk about. Some new Linux hardware that people are really excited about, and we're going to talk about some of the interesting things around that. Mozilla's got something new that I'm really looking forward yeah. to. Excited to share that. Later on in the show, we'll talk about our snappy future. And if these snap packages, snappy packages, are they're really, coming. you know, they are coming. Are they really advantageous? There actually seems to be a pretty good solid pro and cons list. And there's one potential thing that sort of reeks of issues of the past. We'll discuss that. And a few of the security issues around snappy packages. See what people think. See what they think, Wes. Absolutely. And then... I've been tracking a particular drama since about 2013. Gnome client-side decorations, love them or hate them, starting in Ubuntu 16.04, Ubuntu Mate will have, or Mate, will have support for client-side decorations, pop-over menus, shadows around borders. So much fanciness. Yeah, Wimpy spent some time getting everything up to snuff, and we're going to talk about client-side decorations a little more. Not going to spend a lot of time on it, but we're just going to talk a little bit about why a traditional-style desktop like Ubuntu Mate might be doing something like this. So we got all that, plus we got the updates to do before we get into the show. It's just too much stuff, Wes. It's too much stuff. Let's get started. Let's get started by bringing in that mumble room. Time appropriate greetings, mumble room. Hello. 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 Hello, everybody. So, uh, guys, uh, Wes brought something real special into the studio today. Uh, you know, as hosts of your virtual lug, we like to have a couple of brewskis. Because, really, I don't know if you've ever been to uh, a, a meetup or a lug. I have. But the best ones that I've been to were at a restaurant where they were serving beer. 
usually they're at schools or libraries. Yep. Something a little more tame. <laughs> yeah. So that's you what can't I really let your Linux flag fly. No, that's, that's right. That's right. That's what I like about Linux Unplugged's virtual lug is you get to bring your own booze. And uh, we like to just have a beer. We're not going crazy. We're not getting we're not getting stupid. We have a show to do. Actually, I, I mean, we do sometimes get stupid, but that's not related to the beer. No. So Wes brought two couple of unique uh, beers in, both from the same brewery, but different types. Mine is the Ribstop Rye Pills from Basecamp Brewery out of Portland, Oregon, West. They even put their GPS coordinates on the metal can. Easy to find. Yeah, so there you go. And then Wes is drinking the uh, Intense IPL. Intense. Like a tent. Whoa. Hey. Fun city over here. From Basecamp. Uh, you got a BA score of 85 on your brewskis, and I got a BA of 85 on mine. So both rated very good from the Beer Advocate community. And these bottles are beautiful. Very beautiful, and I'm really enjoying this beer. Yeah, right? Yeah, it's really a good beer. So anyways, Basecamp out of Portland, Oregon. Great beer to go with your Linux. Wes, you know I spotted this story a couple of days ago, and I dropped it in our thread and said, we got to talk about this thing. Do, 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 do. Here it is, right here. I got this here. This is the uh, this one here is the Raspberry Pi two. Could you Ooh. tell by looking at it? Can you tell? No. There's a couple of there's a couple of ways you can you can tell if you uh, if you look at the Raspberry Pi. There's a little the field in, guide to the Raspberry Pi. This is your quick guide right here. If you want to know if it's a Raspberry one, two, or three, uh, you know it's a Raspberry Pi three on the if there's a little Wi-Fi, a little white oh, Wi-Fi yeah, antenna right sense. there, and then nothing on the corresponding side. That's one quick way. Also, this HDMI port has this like little color thing on there that's not there on the newer one. Anyways, so the Raspberry Pi 3, pretty nice device, but the first thing I thought when I saw this thing was, geez, I really now want the ability to boot from USB storage. Yeah. I'm sick of the SD card thing. I want just a big disk. Yep. Turns out that was actually a feature they enabled in the Raspberry Pi 3. Really? And uh, Western Digital didn't take any time. They're uh, capitalizing on this. They got a $46, 314-gigabyte hard drive ah. built just for the Raspberry Pi. The Pi drive! It's based on a Western Digital Blue. And uh, one of the things that's kind of unique about it is its interface. It's got a little, see the little USB interface there? It's a slim profile drive. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. They say, uh, it, which it would normally cost about $45 a gigabyte, I guess, or for, for, no, I'm sorry, $45 for the drive. They're, they're selling it right now at $34.42. Seven millimeter high, high drive. Uh, it's just based on the regular uh, blue drives that you'd see like in a, in a, in a laptop. They're going to also include with a Berry bootloader to make it le- uh, easier to run multiple OSs from the same drive hooked up to your Pi. Huh, that's funny. Yeah. And I, you know, I was, I was I watching... I could see that getting included in some of those kits, though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? For sure. I was watching in my uh, Google Plus feed. A lot of people are ordering this. Yeah. So people are excited about this. But anybody seen this? Would you add a hard drive to your Raspberry Pi? You know, 46 bucks, you get 314 gigabytes. I definitely would if I had one just to be able to do what I want to do with it. Is that a media center? Because that was my one of my first thoughts. Yeah. Was, yeah, yeah, media center, pretty much. You know, just have something small, or or maybe I want to do media center and IRC local server. You know, could do two things with it easily. That's also enough for like if you kept this as your on to the go media server, you could sync down from Plex or that's whatever. That's what I was just going to say. Is that's been, enough for a pretty reasonable moving library. I've been coming up with, I've been trying to come up with a solution for an offline storage for my library that yeah. makes it easy to, to work with. And being able to hang something off a Raspberry Pi moves that Raspberry Pi up a notch in my list. Pretty cool. Uh, and the price, 46 bucks for 314 gigabytes. My first hard drive was 20 megabytes. So, Ooh. yeah. That was still in production? Is that what you're <laughs> No, 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 no. Wes, have you heard of Servo? 
Yes, I have. I, I'm actually legitimately excited about Servo because we finally got ourselves, well, a a rough ship date of like June, was it, I think? June? June. That's Servo, uh, very specific. Well, June. <laughs> which could be like the very end of June. I don't even know if there's a, I mean, I assume they mean this June, but yeah. I don't know if it's sad. <laughs> Could be a June. Yeah, could be. It could be like uh, June 2018. Servo is a modern per, uh, permanent, modern performant browser engine designed to uh, be super fast. Uh, everything is uh, of, of multi-process, but uh, outside of that, it's built on Rust, which is interesting. Which I think is maybe the most interesting thing about it. It's coming out of the Mozilla Research Division, and they're building it for Linux and uh, what's that? Uh, the Mac and uh, Android. You know, it's funny. They don't list Windows on here. Huh. But they do say uh, Linux, 64-bit Linux. 64-bit Linux. And Firefox OS. What well, are you looking forward to? Well, yeah, sure, sure. What are you looking forward to with Servo? I think it's just neat to see, like, a, a project of this scale being built in Rust. I've enjoyed following Rust's development. I think it's a neat new systems language uh, with a lot of interesting features. So it'll be neat. I don't know. And Gecko's cool, but uh, everyone is, you know, it's WebKit these days or link or whatever so it's kind of interesting to see mozilla pursuing something new and maybe if they can bring some you know real improvements to that scene using rust that'd be awesome i would love i haven't tried it or anything so i don't know go ahead run cool info about it is that uh rust the language was actually developed because of servo yeah right Right. i know which shows you how long they've been working on it too they've been working hopefully that means they're getting it right (laughs) yeah hopefully the 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 benchmarkings with red renderer is looks awesome though this is the thing. I mean, I, you guys know. I, if if I could if I could switch switch my workflow over to uh, Firefox, Firefox, I would. And this could be a huge step towards making people excited again about writing some of the extensions that I use on Chrome and some of that stuff. I I find I find just totally arbitrary example that is not really any kind of real world test, other than it happens to affect me directly. When I use that web app called IRC Cloud, have you ever seen this? Yes, I have. When I use it in Firefox. If I leave the studio like on a computer and I leave it running and I come back the next day, Firefox will be seized up. But not only just that, my entire desktop session will be very, very, very leggy, very leggy. Same thing happens on our GNOME web. Same thing. Same wow. exact thing, which is a WebKit browser. Right. right. Does not happen under Chrome. In fact, I can pin it to my browser in Chrome and accidentally to forget it. to leave it there for days and days and days and notice zero performance difference. I know this is a silly benchmark, but for me, it tells me something about the way these applications are architected, that the same exact web application in Chrome seems – yes, Chrome uses more memory up front and all of that. Yeah. But at the same time, it doesn't, after a day, crash my machine. Not a very common work scenario, not a big deal, but for I've, me, it makes I've, a difference. Is there a possibility there's also some sort of effect here with what we see in the Linux world with firmwares, where things are tested for Windows but not Linux? Are things these days kind of just being written with for Chrome. Chrome in mind? I I don't know. In could, this be. Case, but. could be. That could be. Yeah, could be. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to see, seeing yeah, them get people excited and fired up. And uh, Servo writing in something in Rust. It seems fun. Yeah. And Servo looks really cool. So we like to follow another project we like to follow is this is sort of what this portion of the start of the show has become on Unplugged is open source projects that we think are interesting that we follow and want to give you updates on. Kitson, you want to jump in on uh, Chrome and more, using more memory before we move on? Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I was thinking that might be why it is more performant is because it's keeping that memory fresh in the background rather than perhaps pushing it onto hard disk or swap. Right, yeah. Um, I, that could very well much – also because uh, even if one tab goes a little wonky, it's, it very often does not affect the other tabs on Chrome. Uh, that could help too. So, yeah, good point. 
All right. So we'd like to follow the Minecraft project, the future of open source, artificial intelligence, intelligence, intelligence. We often hear from Ryan in their videos. They have a new keynote style video, which doesn't work as well for me as some of their other videos. But they do have something pretty cool to announce. You heard of that X Prize there, Wes? Minecraft's going cray. Oh. I'd like to introduce founder and CEO of Minecraft, Joshua Montgomery, to tell you about our new announcement. Thank you, Ryan. Hello, Joshua. Hello, I'm Joshua Montgomery, the founder and CEO of Minecraft AI. Minecraft has partnered with Techstars, Vocality, Sprint, Ubuntu, and Lucid Labs in the pursuit of an artificial intelligence platform for the connected home. Today, I'm pleased to announce that Minecraft will be pursuing the IBM Watson AIX Prize. The IBM Watson AIX Prize is a $5 million prize being awarded for significant accomplishments in the field of artificial intelligence. Should we win the prize, the $5 million will be donated to open source projects based on the wishes of our developer community. To win this prize, we've set a lofty goal. It's our goal to create an artificial intelligence platform that interacts with people so naturally that when you speak to it, you can't tell whether you're speaking to a machine or to a person. That's awesome. To seed this effort, we're providing $250,000 in resources and assigning machine learning expert Jonathan Dorlins to lead the effort. Our first milestone on the road towards this goal is the open source speech-to-text engine that takes speech and converts it into text both accurately and fast. We're looking for developers, students, and researchers interested in artificial intelligence and in donating time and effort to the open source community. If you're interested in working with AI and you have a passion for open source, please visit us at openstt.org to find out more information. Together, we can win the IBM Watson AIX Prize. That's interesting. Thank you. There is so much going on in AI right now. It really is. Microsoft today is talking about their AIX initiative, yeah. which uh, they're going to be training open. They're going to be uh, some sort of, oh, I got to look into it more. I said I was going to, and I need to. Uh, but it looks very interesting. Um, and just in our backyard. Of course, this week, uh, Google's AlphaGo. Just, can it go? Right? It, it just won a four-to-one four match, I guess, so the, the human won once. Um. It's a really interesting week for artificial intelligence, and the Minecraft project basically seems to have news almost every week. It really does. I'm and so far, doing. and so far, I don't get a sense that they're failing to deliver. Uh, it feels like they're on track yeah. and they're doing well. And I, I'm, I'm a little taken aback because not only is it rare these days, it seems like for a Kickstarter that I've been interested or backed actually to do well. Where's the subtle disappointment? <laughs> right, right. But also, uh, this is a really big deal for them not to F up for Linux and open source. Yep. And this is an area that's been so corporate control. I mean, yeah. there's open elements to it, but all it's the an, big it's stuff is area, coming from... It's an area that has been so driven by the, the marketing strategies of Amazon and Google exactly. and Apple and Microsoft with Cortana. And this is taking it so much further beyond that. Uh, and so... I, and none of them are extensible, like in any way, really. But one, at one point, I'm like, at what point, what point is the Minecraft project going to crack? At what point does a little, a little upstart new project like this, that's doing something so ambitious, reach their maximum capacity to handle all of these new partnerships and agreements? I mean, I'm or when do they get bought and subtly corrupted? Well, they did just get into that accelerator, which should help. But yeah, I mean, hmm. it's just, it's just something that I worry about because they're so important. Yes. 
Uh, you don't really they, have a they're, – they're it, really. Yeah. But Joshua and Ryan seem to have pretty good heads on their shoulders. So, yeah, it's pretty interesting to watch all of that and uh, to see the broader market. So if you're interested, please do help them out. I mean I think this is going to – if things keep going like they're going, this is going to be a big project. Yeah. I'm hoping – here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping Mycroft test production unit Linux Fest Northwest. Hands on. Yes. Hands on. Right? That would be the thing. And then, you know, we'd be one of the few places with maybe cameras can, there. Maybe we can ask it to play the live stream. I'm, oh, my gosh. That would be, that could happen. If you could say Mycroft, Mycroft, play JB Live. You have to get its name right. That's like Mycroft. a prerequisite. No, I want to call it, whatever, I want to call it Jarvis. You, know, you should be able to call yep. it whatever you Computer. want, right? Computer. Wouldn't that be nice? Yep. Computer. Computer, play JB Live. And then it starts the stream. That would be so awesome. Uh, so I'm hoping we get our hands on because we're going to have cameras there. We're going to have, you know, the whole crew there. Right. Everybody get to play with it. We'll all get our thoughts. We'll see. We shall see. And, you know, that back end, you know, because one of the nice things about Minecraft, you could deploy your own back end infrastructure. Right. You could deploy that on a DigitalOcean droplet. Oh, that's right. DigitalOcean, sponsor of the Linux Unplugged program. Go to DigitalOcean.com and use the promo code Unplugged. one word. Lowercase, ultimate power. You hear those clowns over at Linux Action Show? They have a new promo code? Screw Losers. Those. Screw those guys. We got DO unplugged, and we've had that for a long time. Go unplug your DO droplet. Well, don't unplug it. That would be bad. Unplug your mind and expand it by creating a DigitalOcean droplet. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code DO unplugged and get a $10 credit. You can start in less than 55 seconds. And pricey plans, they start only $5 a month. So you see how that DO unplugged That's going to hook you up. You get 512 megabytes of RAM at $5 a month, a 20 gigabyte SSD, because they all SSDs. Yeah. All SSDs, West One CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. And DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, and I believe a brand new one. Brand new. In India. It's crazy. And they got that simple interface, that intuitive control panel, and that powerful, straightforward API. API. You got a straightforward API, Wes, and you got to go check it out at digitalocean.com and use the promo code DO Unplugged. Their pricing plans are simple and straightforward. They got one-click deployment of a bunch of great open-source applications using all open-source code, the entire stack, from the virtualizer all the way up. They're using open-source code there. KVM. Love it. Love it. And then when you get going, they have tutorials to take it even further. If you go to their community section, they got write-ups on all those things you need to know. These are some of the best tutorials in the community. Like Let's Encrypt. You know, that's a hot topic right now. They got Prometheus, Package Management Basics, How to Use Tink. How to use Puppet. All of these things. And DigitalOcean got it. And it just makes your experience even better. So go to DigitalOcean.com. Go check out all of the good stuff. Look at the incredible pricing. And if you really want to feel like it's 2016, like if you've just been like, ho-hum, Back to the Future said it was going to be awesome and you're not feeling like it's really 2016, I got something for you. Install Docker on your laptop or your desktop. Create a really cool Docker image. And then go deploy it to a DigitalOcean droplet in seconds and realize, okay, yeah, it's 2016. I just spun up a super powerful server with crazy fast bandwidth with all of my software config that was completely identical on my laptop in seconds. It's very cool. And, you know, even if you don't use any of that stuff, if you just want a Linux rig you can SSH into and just poke around, a great, a great opportunity. DigitalOcean.com. Just use that promo code, D-O unplugged. Big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Unplugged program. Wes, you got yourself here one of them uh, early edition Sputniks, right? Yes, I the do. The first one, if I don't if yes. I don't make a mistake there. Uh, and, you know, that's what my son uses too. Uh, and uh, it's a pretty great laptop. But uh, this week, 
a new laptop entered the scene. It's making me jealous. Yeah, the new Skylake-based Dell XPS 13 with Ubuntu pre-installed is arriving in the U.S. It's a fifth-generation Intel, so that's not bad, with an i7, you know, so two-quarters, mm-hmm. up to 16 gigabytes of RAM and a nice fatty SSD. Loaded out of the gate with Ubuntu. Are you tempted, Wes? Oh, yeah. Are you? I've, I've, I mean, I've, I've been looking at these new ones with that that tiny bezel for a long time now. Yeah, that is nice. That yeah, that yeah. And I guess on these new ones they're also offering a lot of these in their business precision line but yeah. with the same form factor. So that, I think that would be the one I would be looking yeah, at. Yeah, uh, uh, their precision line workstation notebooks, the precision 5510, 3510 and 7510 and 7710. 15 and 17 inch variants are also available and depending I believe on which they're you want. more configurable. Like they're yeah. less locked down. Yeah. Yeah. Although the XPS 13 is a small, right, tiny laptop. True. It's really nice. Don't have uh, any word yet on when they're going to support 1604. They're shipping with 1404 right now. I mean, I didn't install Arch anyway, so I don't <laughs> know why you're wasting my time here, Chris. hey So up to 16 gigabytes of memory, a 512 gigabyte solid-state drive. I don't understand this. And this is where I don't feel like Dell has yet matured to a true Linux vendor. Uh, is they fourteen oh four is just not a good choice no. if you're shipping a high DPI display. Uh, this is a soapbox I've gone up on before. It's not a how did I guess they must have used yeah 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 because you can only go up to what GTK three dot ten in fourteen oh four, and that's only the very initial high DPI support in right. your GTK applications, and it's gotten so much better since then, and you're really missing out. And so when you ship a laptop with a three thousand two hundred by 1,800 resolution, and Are you so don't... close to 16's release? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's why it'll be a really nice upgrade to 1604 yes. when they do Hopefully ship it's it. not too long. You know Project Spidenick's been going since 2012. Wow. And uh, so that's actually a pretty old laptop in computer terms you've got there. Yeah, it is. And when they first did it, I was a little... I was, I was actually pretty skeptical. I didn't. I didn't think this was a good idea. I didn't. I also basically didn't think Dell was going to stick with it. No. Well, and the whole time it's kind of just been this one little thing yeah. done on the side. I am encouraged that they're expanding to the precision line. I think that's a yeah. that's a big story here. Uh, and uh, they've had some in the past too. This isn't the first time they've done this, but they've expanded the program even more so. And I, I think what they've done here that was really super smart that the other OEMs should take away from, like your HPs and your Lenovas. Uh, is they're targeting developers. They're calling it the developer edition, right? right? They're targeting power users. And I think that has been key to its success because it's, they're not saying this is the laptop that will forever replace Windows. This is a laptop that's better than a MacBook. This is the MacBook killer. They're not saying any of that. What they're saying is if you want a developer laptop and you're a technical user, we've got a computer for you. Which is pretty neat because it makes a good like you know you're hired at your new job and they're like oh what do you you know what do you need to work with and you could say MacBook Pro or whatever but now you could say something like this and get nice hardware very nice mu- screen very much so much more likely to have work or to probably order from Dell right they already have a supplier there yeah. yeah that is a big deal now not available outside the U S yet good to know but I think I think some of the precision machines are which might be better rigs to go with anyways depending on your needs probably more expensive okay so let's ask the mumble room anybody in the mumble room you know tempted to pick up a laptop. Maybe maybe put funds aside. Let's put yourself in the market for a laptop right now. You know, around two thousand. Chris Lass is buying around fifty. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's let's spend Bitcoin while it's about four hundred dollars. Everybody, uh, you know, something around fifteen to two thousand dollars. A nice high end laptop, uh, and you want it to run Linux. Can somebody give me a reason why you wouldn't necessarily go with this laptop at this point? Hmm. That says it right there. I Look think. at Dell. 
I can't think of – I mean other than if you want a larger screen, but then you go to precision. Uh, so you know, I'm hoping now that this really spurs on System 76 to really step up. They have some great machines. They do. Uh, especially like in the higher end, uh, like just on the pre-show, I was sort of wishing that I had my Bonobo hooked up right here. Um, and on the Oryx Pro, like, Ooh. right? But when it comes down to these super light, really thin, good battery life, high resolution screens, I know from my XPS 13, which is the last model, that screen is damn good. It's a, it's one of the best screens. Ooh. Yeah. I, you know, I still look at it every now and then when I open up and go, damn, I can't believe this is a Linux computer. I just can't even believe it. And that's so, you. Yeah, I mean, and Apollo's great, and Entraware has a great hardware setup. I think I would uh, – my preference would be to go with System76 or Entraware first. Yes, I agree. Uh, but if they weren't – but if I wanted something like this, I would, I would consider it. I would. Oh, I guess they say we're in a different channel on the Mumble Room. Is that true, Wes? Is that, true? That, doesn't look, that doesn't look true to me, Wes. That don't look true to me. If we are, double-click on there. There you go. All right, so uh, if anybody – sorry, if we were in a different channel, you didn't, I don't know how that could have happened. But if you didn't get a chance to uh, – Say something. Your thoughts on the XPS 13 virtual lug before we move on. Uh, no? It seems like a great laptop. Uh, and, and nobody had a reason why you wouldn't pick it up, right? We didn't miss that? No. There's no, there's no major reason I could think of. Other than, uh, I mean, what about the fact that it's Dell? Yeah, they're all the same, same now. Isn't it even cheaper, though, like than the Windows one now? I don't know if it is. Mm. It used to not be. Maybe it is now. I thought I heard someone make a comment about that. Hmm. hmm. Like yeah, but less. to say that it's just a Dell, I mean, Alienware's Dell too, so. Well. <laughs> yeah, but that, that, you're just basically saying Alienware, Alienware is awful now. Well. And you'll put a Linux sticker over the little Dell symbol, right? I haven't yet on my other one. I, I guess I just, I don't, I don't know. I don't really know what Dell's future holds for them. But I'm glad they're doing it. But I, at the same time, I look at the other vendors and go, so you're still planning to just uh, do that Windows thing, huh? Right. Still planning to ship Windows. That's that's working for you, huh? Okay. Yeah. So, um, ha, 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 you're a Dell fan. So defend them now that I've uh, insulted that on us. Uh. Yeah. So I have, have uh, two Dell laptops. And the first one holds uh, five gear and the still is uh, one. Uh, the one I have now is still going. And it's about six year, maybe seven. So it's held up well is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, that that, that have, counts for something. Yeah, I have a laptop that uh, its birthday was last week, and it's now ten years old and still runs. And it's a Dell. <laughs> the other nice part is they're pretty pretty easy to get parts for and service. Generally, there's a lot of people who know how to fix Dell laptops. That's true. That is all true. And if you know, uh, if you're a developer and you just want to get your job done, and you want a nice support it's a contract, pretty good choice. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I would shop Ooh, around those but... support contracts. That's right. Yeah. So you want to buy one? Let's let's just look. We're not going to actually buy one. But I've got the XPS 13 laptop up here, the Dell configuration. Uh-huh. So I figured before we got let's done here, we let's just see. Yeah. So it starts here with a, a couple of different. I wonder if I'm on the right one. Uh, it's kind of hard to find the Ubuntu edition. I don't feel like I'm on the right one because these ones have Windows uh, stickers. So let's let's start by trying to find it, and, and let's 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 just Google search for it. Okay. We're gonna get the full experience. Yep. Are you ready? Yep. Okay. We so are Linux users who need a new laptop. So yep. Let's say we're gonna search for Ubuntu Dell XPS. Okay. I'm gonna. That should be enough, don't you think? I would hope so. Okay. There we go. The Dell Developer XPS 13 Edition. First link on our Google search results. Easy peasy. All right. Didn't even have to bother with the Dell site. I'm feeling good already because that's usually where I go. Oh, wrong. look. It's Ubuntu right there. Yeah, Ubuntu Ooh. right there. Now, look at this, Wes. We got two editions to choose from. One that starts at eight ninety nine ninety nine, and one that's uh, 1049 Uh I'm kind of inclined to say... What's the difference? Well, uh, I think the huge difference here is a faster processor. 
Well, you're going to need that. But otherwise, the specs look oh, – let's, let's customize. Let's customize the uh, $1,000. I have work to get done here. Yeah. I do like a fast rig. So you really get hmm. – so you can upgrade the – you can upgrade to two, 256 gigs solid state. These all say fifth generation i7. Are these the last ones? Oh, it must be. No, though, because mine's an i7. So I can't change it to an i7 from here. So the final, fifth generation, yeah. shouldn't it be sixth? These are all the new ones are Skylake. Yeah, that's true. That is true. But you know what? They're they're uh, they're mar- they're marketing this. Yeah, maybe they're not available for well. That's too bad. So why make the announcement? Yeah, double check on that for me, Wes. So it looked like it was around. Uh, well, that one was around $1,100, $1,400, depending on how you configure it. Fifth generation, is Skylake sixth generation? Yes. Well, then those probably are. So they're not actually available for sale yet. That's too bad. I was going to see how much it would be if we wanted to configure one right now. I want it right now. Yeah, yeah. Would you consider upgrading yours? I mean, is that your personal machine or is that a work laptop? Uh, it is a work laptop. It's an extra work laptop, uh, which is why it's yeah. good enough for now. Yeah, yeah, yeah But yeah. I have been, I mean... I have been – one of these days I'm just going to snap and buy a new laptop. So. Yeah? Would this be on your list? It's very high on my list. You know what's confusing? It's hard because they all call it the new. Right. So, you say the, so they say the new XPS 13 developer edition and it starts at $1,500. But then you – oh, oh, wait a minute. Well, look at this, Wes. <laughs> what, what changed? What? I don't know. Oh. What, I don't know what changed. But now, now you're have, on the new, new, yeah. new developer yeah, edition. Yeah, and now it's uh, sixth generation. What the hell just <laughs> happened? What the – Holy crap. All right, okay. Well, here on Linux Unplugged, we've unlocked the secret code I necessary. If, I wonder if I just had to refresh the page. That's That might have been it. So here we go, Wes. It starts, holy smoke, starts at 1500 but it goes all the way up to 2300 You get a one terabyte hard drive. So let's go with the middle. So it really is in the MacBook Pro. Yes. Type. Let's go in the mid-range. Let's start with a 512. I can't go below 512 for my main work machine, right? I mean, that's... I'm all right with 256, but let's go 512. In what world, Wes? In what world? Jeez Louise, Wes. Jeez Louise, that's disgusting. 60... Gigabytes of RAM, 512 gigabyte PCIe solid state. Oh, it's yeah. PCIe. Yeah. Oh, boy. Tasty. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So that's funny. So, by the way, don't Google search for like what we did because you might get that same result yeah. we did. Uh, when Do I, uh, I, I, re, I re-clicked on the logo of the XPS developer edition and it loaded this page. So be careful how you search because you might get to the wrong thing. Um, so st- our start, ours is going to be $1,949.99. Okay. 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 I can see it. I, 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 boy, it's barely worth that. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, at least based on mine. Unless they've improved the build quality a little bit. Right. There's the case gives. It's a, it's a plastic case. It, it gives. And the other thing is is where you rest your wrist right here. See, they're showing that right here. Uh yeah, it's the same exact material. It shows it shows stains like an SOB. Oh, and like you know when you're when you're sitting like like we all do when you're sitting there eating chi- chicken wings and browsing Reddit. <laughs> you get chicken. The truth comes out. <laughs> you get grease, you get wing grease on your laptop. And ain't nobody Is this want... why you won't bring that to the studio? You're too yeah. embarrassed. It's just filthy. No, man, it smells delicious. I want it at home when I get hungry, I just lick it off. Heat it up gently and it yeah. smells great. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, the build quality. So the build, I don't know, two thousand dollars for a Dell is. Oof. Then you imagine what you can spend that money on a desktop. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Ooh, yeah, with a really nice. That's the other thing is, uh, the Intel graphics is not cutting it for me. And when you yeah. throw high DPI in there, it's even worse. So if you just get like a nice is this? full HD, you know, like ten eighty p laptop, and then you yeah. your, spend your money on your beautiful desktop. I was trying a little, uh, you know, uh, a little gaming here on the Apollo, which is the Skylake Iris. Still not good enough. Still, so, 
boy, for two thousand dollars, I, I I might be wrong. Let's go check. But I think when you get into two when you get into a two thousand dollar Apple laptop, I think you get dedicated graphics. You get the Iris Plus. Right now, it's an AMD. Is that how? Is yeah. that is that okay? So let's go look. So, uh, uh, what would that be? A MacBook Pro. Mm-hmm. And I guess this maybe isn't a fair benchmark, but it kind of it kind of fe- seems like you know you have to at least consider that one of the high, be- better selling competitors. Ah, but they don't offer dedicated graphics in a 13 inch form factor. Oh, so you do have to step that is up. A difference. You do have to step up to 13 inch. But yeah, when you or I'm sorry, 15 inch. But once you step up to 15 inch, you get a legitimate quad core processor yeah. on the MacBook uh, instead of the dual core i7. Um, you get. 256 gigabytes of PCIe storage, not as good as the Dell. And uh, you get the Iris Pro video. I don't see dedicated graphics on this one, actually. Oh, okay. Well, then maybe you have to go a little more expensive. Yeah, you that. might. So, okay. All right. I just, for $2,000, I want my damn dedicated graphics, and I want my damn dedicated graphics real bad. Although, uh, even at a, unless you get something like the Oryx, a lot of the dedicated in the laptops are still, you're, they're better, but it's not <sighs> what you pay for, you know? Yeah. I want to. I want to. I want something. I want something around a thousand dollars. That's really, like the Centraware starts at a good price. The Apollo, right? Uh, so yeah, it's closer. But yeah, <laughs> the marketing stunt by Dow. Look at our beards. We sell Linux as System T. Uh, it, it, Mumble room. Anybody else want to talk about the XPS? Either, either we're being unfair or maybe we're being too fair. Go ahead and share your thoughts. Going once. Going twice. I think what it comes down to is that Dell might be do, trying to shift. <clears throat> excuse me, shift over from being just strictly a Windows OEM, and they're trying to get that Linux crowd bit. I'm looking at the System76 Oryx Pro, and even at a 15-inch or 17-inch, it's still a better deal for under $2,000. Wow, so, oh, really? Uh, yeah, like the, it's like $1,300, and you're getting a GTX 970 or a 980 yes. mobile I know. from NVIDIA. Oh, boy. And so it's like, Good try, Dell. Dude, System Seventy Six is killing it. On yeah, I mean, how deal. much is the how much is the super thin, lightweight worth? And it, I guess it all comes down to your workflow. Yep, but that's your like main workstation. He said something there, Wes, that I wanted to. Do you think this is Dell's hedge against Windows collapsing? Is and are they just doing it in a way that is hyper focused and they're able to learn from? Because obviously they're focusing, like we mentioned, at developers. Yep. And I think that but, if you're if you're Dell. You're Michael Dell, and you're like, um, you got to look at your money. You see where your money's spent. And you see this group of like uh, eight or ten guys and gals that are burning money on working for Linux. Why are you spending that money? Why is Michael Dell spending that money, Wes? You know, I think it kind of it might play also into the enterprise shift. You know, they bought EMC. They were looking at kind of focusing on enterprise. And I think if you're going to still be selling, you know, workstation-level components, Linux is a good bet for that kind of like – Power user, yeah, and maybe you're building web apps, yeah. You know your backends on a Linux infrastructure, yeah. Uh, the Red Pepper, you had a point to make about workstations. Go ahead. You can always order a Dell X, a Dell Precision 15 inch laptop with Ubuntu on it. Yeah, the Precisions now they've expanded with this announcement. They've expanded the Precision line with more customizability. And so maybe one day we'll see Wes show up with a precision. I I am um, you know I love if I if I had unlimited money, if I could have all of the laptops in the world, I think I would like to have the Apollo for my portability instead of an right. XPS. I actually think I my my truly unbiased opinion having the XPS thirteen, the last generation, and having the Apollo, 
The Apollo is a better computer. It's beautiful. And the trackpad's better on the Apollo. Wow. So for portability, I think the Apollo is better. But I really want to just slide that into my bag when I leave. Chris. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> At the same time, like I want this, I want some of the features and power of the Oryx, and it, it, I actually have had some limited production capabilities with the Apollo because it's not powerful enough. Sure. So part of me, if I had unlimited money, Wes, I would have the Apollo as like my portable machine, and the Oryx as my. I got to do a real bunch of. I got to do a whole bunch of work, and I'm doing it between the studio and home all the time, and that would be my machine. And I would have two laptops because yep. there's, there's not a perfect laptop for me right now. There's not one that answers all the things like the or, or the thing about the Apollo. Lightweight, super easy uh, to – Sturdy port. construction. Yeah. So it makes it very easy to move it around because right. it's really sturdy and a very small power adapter. The plus about the Oryx That's would huge. be it has a great graphics card in it, a great desktop class Seems CPU. whatever you throw it at. Exactly. But, it, and, but it's huge. It's heavy and has a big power brick. And um, fans. Yeah. Yeah, that too. This thing has never once, once, the fans wow. have never once spun up on air, uh, which is a huge thing for me because then it, you know, makes it sound better. Stopping the show, complaining about the fans, it happens almost every other week until the Apollo. And the Apollo has better battery life than the Oryx, I, I would guess, because right. it's all Intel and no dedicated graphics. But either way, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't feel like I could land on one single laptop right now. I guess I, I guess the way to strike that distance would be to have – or to strike that balance would be to have a uh, – a pretty well-built desktop PC that's, you know, within reason. Right. And then have a nice portable laptop. Yep. And then, but then, you know, still, I'm, st- I'm just trying to justify how you spend $2,000 on a computer that is limited to 16 gigs of RAM and doesn't have dedicated graphics. Maybe I'm just yep. a PC master race guy. I mean, I don't even, <laughs> I'm, not, my, I'm, trying to be, I'm not trying to be like a, oh, you got to have fast components, but $2,000 and you don't have dedicated graphics and you can only do 16 yep. gigs of RAM. That sounds crazy to me. On the other side, I get frustrated that the RAM is always lock-stepped with the other components. Like, maybe I, maybe I don't need the 512 because I, you know, do a better job of keeping my file system right. organized than Chris does. Right. You know, or I don't need the super nice touch. I just want the full HD. Yes, but right. you can never get the, like, 16 gigs or the 32 gigs in that model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, Muhahaha. Tell me about this. You think it's for $2,000, you say it's worth it if as long as you get a good amount of uses, use out of it, like several years, maybe more? What do you think? Yeah, I think it's fine. You, but how but, do you get five years of use out of a computer that doesn't have dedicated graphics and is locked to 16 gigs of RAM? Seriously, how do you get five years out of that? Debian stable and never change a thing. <laughs> so uh, I think you – okay. Uh, I don't think you can do it if you are planning to game, but if you're just planning to use it for development, or, yeah, just browsing. Okay, maybe browsing, maybe that is kind of overpowered, but yeah. I don't know, man. You know, I just read something, Wes, today. Didn't you link it to me? The uh, Ford, uh, One of the features, and I, I, the reason why I didn't put it in the show is because I didn't understand it, uh, so I didn't want to read it on air. But one of the features in kernel 4.5 is a bunch of work on the new open source AMD driver, right? Yes, I believe so. And, and, and I don't know. If, can you pull up our, our thread on that computer and pull that up? Because maybe I can. Because one of the things, and this is why I didn't include it in the show, is they talk about accelerating ButterFS file system calculations using the AMD GPU. So if you're following me here, that would mean your file system runs faster because it's using the GPU to crunch numbers. That, uh, yeah, okay, uh, let's see. Also, by the way, uh, it has better uh, uh, PS2 support, Wes points out. Super important. When you need that very accurate okay. PS2 mouse. 
here's why. Here's the here's the part that it says. That, this is why I didn't read it on air. Uh, so they say. So uh, what's exactly so promising about Linux kernel 4.5? It includes an, implement, an implementation of initial support for the AMD PowerPlay power management technology, and it also brings high performance to the AMD GPU open source driver for Radeon GPUs. As a result, it will improve scalability in the free space handling of the ButterFS file system, and it will have better ePoll multi-threaded scalability. So th- this article is saying that the I don't, this why I didn't this just got help. I'm just shoehorning this, in. but this thing is claiming. The improved GPU drivers will help with ButterFS free space calculations. No. How can that be a thing? And if it, it's it, not a thing. Okay. It, it's not a thing. <laughs> they're, they're supposed to be separate things. They, uh, they added the new free space map cache to ButterFS in version 4.5. Okay, good, good, good. All right, So, because my point yeah. was going to be, I can, I, but I can't, and, and uh, that's, that's why I was like, that can't be right. That, there's, no way that's, there's no way that's right. But where I was going with this is I see future workloads that are improved because your GPU takes some of the compute. It's already here today, but it's mostly here in production work. Uh, and and I, so when you tell me that this XPS 13 is a five-year computer, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know if that's true. Be- I, I, no, I, don't, I don't know if that's true. Because there's, there's a certain class of people that don't – they can't have a five-year computer, and you might be one of them. Maybe on a desktop. You're Maybe on a nice me. desktop Branded that you oh, don't you. game on. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, well, so there you go. There you go. Fine. Fine. I'm. That's just but fine that's for not, Chris. Not that there's anything wrong with that. And there are some users that you know, like you want it. Yet you, you can have an older ThinkPad and use it for a long time, and it works great. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point, Wes. That's a good point. Yeah, I guess. I guess where I was going with this is, I. I guess what I was trying to say, and I'm not saying it very well, is I think there will be future work tasks and loads that are automatically offloaded to the GPU that you, as an end user, don't even realize, like your web browser and its rendering, or how your menu pops up when you go to search for applications oh, yeah, on your computer. Interaction I, stuff is being uh, yeah. GPU I, today and in the future, more and more stuff will be GPU accelerated. And if you don't have a computer that has a good GPU, you're going to be left behind a little bit. Your system's. Gonna, that's all I'm saying. You see that software rendering pop up and. You get sad and everything's slow. And for me, when I'm using my XPS 13, that just means, okay, this isn't a time I could play games. I, I just I can't play games on this computer. And that's kind of a bummer. I mean, there's sometimes. always Race the Sun. There's, that barely works. That barely works. Ouch, really? Well, part of the issue is 4K. And oh, then part yeah, of the right. issue is so many games right now suck at changing their resolution. And so when you try to run it in windowed mode, it still gets really funky. Mm. So there's just a lot of rough spots still. I see. And it makes gaming frustrating on the on the XPS. It's just not even worth it. Or you stream it from your. I don't know, probably different games. Like a different. Like my kids can play Minecraft. That works pretty well. Right. So there you go. Minecraft works. That works, Wes. Uh, but things like um, uh, like actual games, games like that are like not there aren't like pixels that aren't but, written in Java. Yeah, those don't play so well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Mumbleroom. Any other thoughts on the uh, Linux laptop topic before we move on? Going once, going twice. All right, so let's talk. Let's take a break. Let's take a moment to reset before we get into something that uh, is looking out into the future a bit. Let's talk about Ting. Everybody, I'll talk about something you can get right now. You don't got to wait till the future. You don't have to wait till Captain Picard on the Enterprise comes by and has the solution for you. No, friends, get out there right now. Computer, what happened? And uh, go to Linux.ting.com. 
Linux.ting.com. Linux.ting.com. Wes! You go there right now, and you'll get a $25 discount off your first device. Or if you have a Ting-compatible device, and they got CDMA and GSM, guess what? I'll put $25 towards your first month or what? whatever. Like your average Ting bill right now, $24 a line. So $25 in credit is going to pay for more than your first month. It's your minutes, your messages, your megabytes. They add them up. Whatever bucket you fall into, that's all you pay. It's $6 for the line. That is Ting. They got a bunch of great devices. They're unlocked. You can get them from the Ting directly or you can bring your own. They have no contract, no early termination fee, and they have a really good dashboard and fanatically good customer service. That's Ting right there. It sells itself. I don't need to sell it. It sells itself. Uh, but one thing that's kind of cool is they're geeks. And uh, you can see this like in some of their blog posts. They did a, uh, a blog post about cord cutters. They've been doing a whole series about they cord cutters. They love cord cutters. Yeah, they do. They talk about how cord cutting not only saves you money, which is kind of obvious. Right. But also saves you a whole bunch of time. The geeks over at Ting did the math, and it's it's unbelievable. Not only do you learn a little bit about how commercials work uh, in television, which is pretty insightful, but you also get a little idea of how much time you save when you stream shows without commercials versus versus watching shows or even like DVRing through them. It's a pretty cool blog post. They got a whole bunch of good stuff. Start by going to linux.ting.com. That supports this show, gets you the discount, lets them know you heard about it. See the best right part? Here. They let us put Linux is now a subdomain on their website. I know. Isn't dude. that wonderful? That yes. says it all that you need to know about yes. Ting right there. Yes, it does. It is <laughs> exactly. It is very, very cool. Uh, go check them out. Go get a great device from GSM card starting at $9. All the up to With feature Amazon phones. Amazon Prime. Yes. Get it. Just yes. as soon as you possibly want. Yeah, put it in anything. With, and then they got, of course, feature phones and basic Android phones that are just nice, clean Android phones, all the way up to the high-end luxury phones. I'm thinking of having like a, oh no, the internet went out again. Yes. Little gateway, emergency yeah. gateway with yeah. Ting. $6 a month. I probably yeah. won't use it like yeah. nine months out of the year. So here's the nice thing is if you had a way to activate it when your internet goes out, you could just turn the line on and off right. and then you're not even paying the $6. Exactly. Don't, and don't just transparent internet. Don't tell Ting I told you that. But you could go get one of their uh, MiFi devices or, you know, whichever one you want. Just grab a, a, a SIM. There's no contract. So and you Stop just pay for six dollars. If you forget to turn it off, you'll pay six dollars. And if, and if you do end up, you, so you could like if you say to yourself, you say self, it's worth it to me to pay six dollars a month to have internet always and available. Honestly, it is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, then you could just pay six dollars a month. But you could also turn it off and then use the Ting app on your phone to then turn the line back on when your Damn. internet goes out, and then good to go. Because if the internet goes out, I know. Yeah, yeah, you right do. away. Oh, there's no missing out on that. I'm in a terrible mood. <laughs> Where's all my stuff? Linux.ting.com. Go there, support this show, check out Ting, get yourself a discount. Big thanks to Ting for sponsoring the Linux Unplugged program. I don't know what it is about these snappy packages, Wes, but uh, I continue to feel like a dope. It's I just be in your bonnet. Well, I, I I struggle because it's 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 a whole bunch of different type of technologies. And you know what's funny about it? It's not even like the first attempt at this. It's maybe a different take on many attempts. We're going to get to that. But I do want to take a moment and talk about Snappy Packages. Uh, so there's Snappy Personal. Their new approach to package management and updating is designed to be faster, more reliable, transactional, with stronger security. Snappy for at least one of the desktop spins. And, of course, you've got, you've got Snappy Core. You've got the phone. They're all using Snap Packages. And there's also on a future Ubuntu still going to be Deb Packages. A lot of the base OS will be using Deb. Snappy will, snap packages will be used uh, to sort of unify the concept of package management against Internet of Things and desktops and all of this. So developers could create these snap packages that are uh, 
they're like a package build from the AUR. So it's a it's a script file that tells you where to go get all of the files. Meets a container. Meets meets PBIs, which are st- with like statically linked libraries and all of that. Is this a good rough description? Do you think, Wes, from your understanding? Seems to capture it. Basically, I mean, it's it's pretty rough. There's a little but more, but that's the snap package. Uh, and then there's a backend component to it that's run by Canonical. That's sort of like the the backend repo server, if you will. Uh, that is aware of where things are at and the keys and whatnot and things like that. Uh, so this is another component to it. Uh, there's, it's not a distributed system necessarily. There is, it is a centralized system with a server. And um, this appears to be something that a lot of projects are trying to solve, this particular problem of distributing software. And there's different takes on how it should be done. A couple of them that are interesting is the, uh, the uh, GUIX SD. Uh, I don't know if you know about this one, Wes. But GNU's got an attempt at this one. Uh, Nix, I think, is uh, is what's called. Yeah, Nix. they're kind of sister distributions. Yeah, yeah. So you have Nix and you have GUIX and you have uh, Limba, which is another project That's trying a new to do one this. To me. And you have, uh, of course, XUG App, which is a big one from the GNOME folks. And I've kind of been waiting to see what's going to yeah. happen there. And uh, XUG apps are sandbox apps. That they, the whole goal here, they say, is. Uh, allowing developers to distribute applications across Linux distributions. It's something we've talked about with Michael Dominic on Coda Radios many, many times, even in the last week's episode, because he'd been running Ubuntu for a while. Is how if I wanted if I wanted to create an app, let's just crazy pie in the sky. Let's say, have you noticed how there is not really a great app store for Linux? Let's just say we could create a app store for all distributions, but how would you make applications you could distribute across all of those? You need something. You need something sandbox, something that takes into account all the different libraries and different versions of things. Uh, sandboxed applications are the future for that type of distributed application. Not all of our apps that we install are going to be sandboxed, but the ones where it's like one click and you download and you run, these are going to be sandbox applications. That's the way these things, all of these different projects are going. And however they implement it, that's where there's differences. Snaps, snap packages are an Ubuntu-specific thing. XGG apps are sort of a distribution agnostic kind of thing. Recently, we talked about app image. Remember, yeah, uh, that was fun. Yeah, was it? Was that just last week we talked about app image? Or the week two before? weeks ago. Two weeks ago, which is essentially another download run anywhere uh, thing. It's download an application, make, mark it executable, and run it. No need to install. No system libraries has similar or preferences to altered. Snaps, you know, it has like a read-only kind of yeah. You know your app doesn't change. It's not getting overwritten. All the dependencies are bundled together. So a lot of different takes on this. Anybody in the Mumber Room uh, kind of uh, maybe more familiar with Snap packages and some of the technical details that maybe wants to fill in anything that I've missed here? You guys are welcome to jump in. And, of course, the chat room's pointed out updates are going to be an interesting thing with Snap packages because you'll have your base system updates and then you'll have to update your Snap packages as well, which might have their own libraries and their own containers. But those will just be Delta updates, right? That's, That's what they're working on? Supposedly. Yeah, supposedly. Very much so. So we'll go, we're going to get to a point in the future where there's going to be a lot of different, like, technologies that are essentially solving the same problem. Well, we're already there. It's just none of them have any large acceptance. When Ubuntu rolls out snap packages... That's going to be a big push, yeah. Yeah. XGG apps, though, is, you know, Fedora, Red Hat, GNOME behind that one. So I wonder. Yes. Uh, Kits and Kitty, uh, you were asking about apt? Uh, yeah. So if I'm understanding this right, does this mean that uh, snap packages will coexist on the same system as uh, apt-git? Correct. Yeah, you'll have a, basically the base OS is still going to be based on Debian, Ubuntu, whatever it's going to be. It's still Debian based. The core OS packages are installed by Apt. You can still install packages from Apt. 
I think of it, I do in this term, I think of it as how the AUR has or has this user-created applications and then Arch itself has repos, official repos. Well, I think the FreeBSD models may be a little better. Yeah, you're probably right, yeah. Or, you know, in OSX land, it's slash applications. Yeah. It's and, the same thing here. You just have a directory. But OS 10 doesn't have a it. base package manager, right? Well, no, you just get it all at once. It's yeah. the same thing. Yeah. And in this case, you'll still have devs getting updated in the background. Sure. You're now going to have your package manager's going to need to update. You're going to need to do an app to get update and upgrade, and Snap package manager's going to need to do an upgrade. Right. Uh, I wonder if they'll wrap that in one or if it'll be distinct. I would assume, right? Yeah. I would think so. Uh, yeah, so the two will coexist because, I mean, let's be honest, they can't repackage everything in Debian as a snap. Without becoming another Debian, yeah. Yeah, and there's, there's, no, there's no benefit to that really. Uh, so you have uh, you have a you have a couple of different technologies. Uh, the ones that I the one that I'm I'm very interested in besides Snap packages are uh, XEG apps. You, they use C groups just like uh, Docker containers do, yep. and or namespaces. Uh, could could leverage SE Linux and KD Bus in the future, uh, and they're already writing it today with Wayland in mind, which I think See, is that's brilliant. Nice. Mm-hmm. And I would I mean, however we get to better sandboxed, better containerized or not applications, that would be a big win for Linux security. Do you think actually would be a big win for security? Because the big I mean, it pushback, depends on how well it's done. Uh, the big pushback that seems that everybody always talks about is don't bundle your dependencies. Don't statically link. Gen2 has this wiki post here about why, why you shouldn't do it. Everybody always says the problem with PBIs is they include all of their own libraries, which means if there's a, a security uh, vulnerability in OpenSSL, you have to update libssl on libopensl on all of those applications instead of just update, updating it once on your system. Is it better for security? See, that's a good point. I was more referring to the sandboxing parts of it, which I think Snappy has less as compared to maybe ah. XDG, you know, where, where you're using C groups, maybe you have a whole network namespace. I don't know. Uh, there is an issue, you know, with bundling dependencies. That's one thing that Linux users for a long time have kind of cited as like, hey, we don't do this. I guess it depends on how widespread it is. Like, I like if the base system and, and all the core stuff. Oh, go on. I was going to say, I think it depends on who's doing the bundling. I think if it's upstream, the maintainers of the distro are doing the bundling and they're actually keeping track of security updates right. and those sorts of things, it's fine. Like, in the case of Snappy, if Canonical's doing the building of the snaps and they're actually being responsible and updating it, then it's fine. It'll come right from the same source they're getting. Right. The if, things in the if it's coming, right. yeah, come from, if it's coming from somebody who's responsible. And all the bundling will be okay. Yeah, if it's right. coming from that's somebody kind of the problem is then when you let it go to developers, sometimes they are not responsible about uh, fixing their bundle dependencies. Kids yeah, an example. Oh, go ahead. Getting Eclipse. Yeah. And yeah. you go and just give them the Eclipse project. Chances are they're just going to throw it all together into one great big snap. And it's just going to be like, well, what if that changes? It's like, well, they're probably just going to say, oh, it works. When just don't use that, you know? Hmm. Yeah, that's one thing that uh, I look at that and I go, there could be a possibility that you could have a couple of applications installed that uh, have out-of-date libraries after yep. a security issue. At the same time, that's a theoretical problem. I mean, it's a theoretical problem that's pretty easy to abstract from from watching what could happen. But in, it is a theoretical problem. It one also thing, can go the other way, like like Subsonic's problem, right? Like it wants newer libraries to be installed. So oh, if you're, yes, you're much. trying to install on 14.04. And which can wreck a system if you start, you know, you right. start messing but around with that stuff. you want your new app to have yeah. the shiny new yeah. um, super patch. Well, uh, the other thing is, is actually what, what actually makes a system usually more secure is uh, to avoid a monoculture and to have diversity and to have um, a lot of different obstacles in the way for an attacker. And so ironically – 
We've talked so much about having statically linked libraries could be a security issue. It's possible that this is just a, I'm just putting this out there, but it's possible that having um, a whole bunch of random different versions of things on one system makes it very hard to for an attacker to be able to set expectations and know what to be able to rely on exploiting in order to take advantage of a system. In other words, because these applications will all be using different versions of libraries, there may not be a common threat for an attacker to take advantage of. So diversity may actually end up being a security advantage. Just just saying, I'm not saying theoretically that sounds sound, but in the way things seem to actually work out, one of the reasons why there's way less viruses for Linux, don't kid yourself, it's not because we have a small usage. Linux has a huge market share in servers. There's a ton of money in Linux malware. There's there's very few Linux malware, partially because we have a good security model, but also because we are fragmented as F, and it's very hard to write once and run anywhere on Linux right now. And that includes malware. That includes malware. And so if you continue to diversify in a weird way, you may be adding to security. I don't know. I could be wrong. But it might not be all. I'm going to package all my malware as snap packages. Hey-o. Thanks to you, Chris. Hey, oh, and also submit it to the AUR while you're at it. Kitson, I wanted to give you a chance to jump in, though, because uh, you had a point that uh, I wanted you to ask. Uh, yeah, I could actually see this uh, being used to create a uh, two-tiered system uh, for package managing. Maybe you could uh, have packages installed in your home directory somewhere. Mm. That way, when you uh, go to update your system and you want to do a, a full wipe on your system partition, you can keep those uh, applications that you have installed on your uh, home partition. I don't know if that's technically possible, but that's an interesting idea. It's uh yeah, I, uh, I've Poby. I'm glad you joined us because I just gave it like a rough uh, explanation of snap packages. I, I don't know if you've been listening, Uh-oh. but if you want to correct me in any way, <laughs> if you know any better, you feel free to jump in. I haven't been listening. I'm sorry. I was far too busy on the other podcast. I yeah, know. I know the time zone thing. The time zone thing. Yeah, look at you. You're back to back podcasting right now, aren't you? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> You're pro. You're pro. Never so, step. We were talking. We were just actually talking about snap packages, and this is actually something that I'm really glad you're here to answer because we talked about the dependencies and statically linked libraries. But one other thing, a kind of a con I have heard about snappy packages, snap packages, is the back end can't be implemented on premises. The back end is is run and controlled by Canonical, uh, and there's not really an equivalent of having a local repository on your land. Is that Am I accurate? Uh, I'm not sure that's the case. Uh, that might be the case today because it isn't all finished yet. It's all like shifting sand underneath you. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I don't doubt that that will be the case in the future because I know there are plenty of people who want to implement Snappy on-premises and don't necessarily want to have their systems calling outside to the internet. Sure. I mean, just look at like providers like DigitalOcean, you know, who have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of uh, Ubuntu because machines doing updates. Yeah. Yeah. For them, it right. makes a and lot of sense. And then there's also the, the, the thing, one of the big selling points of Snappy is the secure side of it. And if you're a security conscious organization where you want to make sure that there's no possibility for outside ingress to your network, then you want to make sure that all updates are delivered from inside your network. So I'm sure that's something that on the radar, I've seen other people discuss it within Canonical and, uh, and at tra- trade shows, I've seen it being discussed. So I, I don't think it's dismissed as not happening. It's just not done yet. Sure, sure. That makes, right. that makes sense. So if I was a betting man, Bobby, and I was asking for hints from you, when would I bet that I could install – when can I 
when can I reliably expect to install snap packages? Would I? And am I using the right term? Is it a snap package? When I'm talking, like, instead of a yeah. deb, is it a, a snap? Well, we tend to call it a snap. A snap. Right? Oh, okay. So have you, snap. Snap yeah. Yeah. <laughs> have you got a snap for that? Yeah. Yeah. Have you got a snap for that? That's good. <laughs> so will there be a point where I'll be able to install them? I just them? made that up. Wow. <laughs> I, that's brilliant. I'm glad that came Get over. Get this man a raise. <laughs> that is good. I, that is what's going to happen. That's what people will say. Uh, and so is the goal to have, is it going to be possible to install them in 1604? Like, I don't understand when that yep. really. Oh. Yep. Well, you already get, I mean, there, there's pre-release images now. I'm running Snappy on my Raspberry Pi 2, which is on my desk in front of me. I've got the little light blinking away at me uh, as it's building stuff. Um, but it's kind of, it's under development. Like I say, it's shifting sand right now. It's really heavily under development. And so, um, you know, things can change. APIs can change, terminology changes yeah, and so on. Sure. But once 1604 is out, sometime soon after that, I would expect it to all stabilize and you would get an LTS-style uh, snappy image for your device, whatever device that is, uh, and be able to install snap packages, or indeed for the desktop as well. And then the next, it seems like, uh, not that that isn't enough of a challenge, but then the next really big milestone would be to get the developer community creating their own snaps. Are you, have, I mean, right. am I following? Does that seem like the and, next step? And, and that seems like a massive yeah. task. And we're trying to, we're we're creating tools to make that easy. Like that is a target. That is a definitive target is to get developers creating snaps. And one of the tools that we have is called Snapcraft. Oh and yeah, Snapcraft right. just takes a single plain text YAML file. Like so, for for example, you can take a single plain text YAML file and bring together. Uh, a, a, an application that is currently on GitHub, and you can bring like the tip of trunk on github and you can pull in whatever dependencies it needs maybe that maybe that application needs ffmpeg or avconv or something like that and so you can go and get the avconv from the debian archive or the ubuntu archive or you can go and get if you need bleeding edge you can go and get that from github or bitbucket or wherever it comes from and pull all of these things together into an application and define all of that just in a single plain text yaml file right snapcraft yeah. right and boom it pushes out a snap which you then upload to the store in fact you can upload to the store directly from snapcraft so you can just do snapcraft snap and it will create a snap and then snapcraft upload and boom you're in the store it's super easy i love it i i you know when i first started playing with snaps i was as skeptical as you and was fearful for change as you and recently i have been playing with it and it is so the, good the YAML file that, that, that describes the snap, what is that called? Because I watched Shuttleworth <laughs> up on stage write one of those in probably 25 seconds. He'd probably written it 100 times, right, but yeah. – It's a plain text file, yeah. What do you call What's that file, that though? File? It's the – it's, yeah, it's a snapcraft.yaml. It's, it's got a predefined name, snapcraft.yaml. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And in your directory, whatever – Yeah, YAML. So – it's, it's got a predefined format and it's very easy to read. And yeah, and in this file, you could you say run, it could say grab a file from GitHub or grab a file from FTP or grab a file from apt colon slash like it. it, it the source can no. Okay, yeah, go, where am I wrong there? Well, yeah, but well, no, but you're right. I mean, the the syntax is different, but yeah, yes, you yeah, say go yeah. and get this from the, go and get this from GitHub, go and get that from the archive. But you might say, uh, like for example, if you package up something simple like cow say, right? Yep. You 
you Kause is written in Perl, I think. So you'd need a certain number of Perl modules. You don't need all of Perl, and you don't need every Perl module. And in fact, the way that Debian and Ubuntu package things, they tend to bundle together a whole bunch of modules, but you don't need all of them. So why would you package all of that together right. as dependencies in your Kause application? You would pull in Kause and then the one or two modules that you need. So it's not just go and get this thing from GitHub, but go and get this thing from GitHub, go and get this Debian package, but only get these individual parts of that Debian package. You don't have oh. to get the whole thing and go and get these individual parts of another Debian package. So you can smush together all the bits that you would normally find inside, say, for example, a Windows executable or what you'd find inside a, a Mac DMG file. There'd be loads of individual parts. We call them parts in, in the snappy world. And those are brought together and built together to form one atomic unit, which is a snap. Has there been any, any talk about any other distributions letting this run? How easy would it be to port? Because I, I feel like that's where Dude, I really Dude, we barely have it running on Ubuntu, <laughs> let alone someone else having it. But like, how, <laughs> how standalone are they? I mean, maybe it can work on Debian. <laughs> if they're right? all like self-referenced. It, it seems like it could probably work on Debian. Uh, right, so they are SquashFS file so a snap is if like technically a, a snap is a squash fs file which is mounted um at a particular path in the file system okay that's kind of similar to what happened snap, which was doing. right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and there's two parts to it there's the read-only part which gives you the security that you know those files haven't been modified right and then there's a, a writable part so every application needs a writable area you yep. know whether it's config or um or data or you know or state some, or some, whatever it is yeah exactly and and so uh, a snap gives you both of those and potentially okay. that yeah could be installed on um other distributions I mean, obviously that's not our focus right <laughs> right now yeah. we're totally focused on but i think what it, running on a bunch i want to just yes. if we can uh um, well, you know what? I, I want to do the, t- the big takeaway. That, but before then, I'll let, I want Kitson to jump in, and then I'll, I'll jump in. Kitson, go ahead. So um, with what you're describing and everything, it does sound like really complex uh, to actually install the application as far as like the behind-the-scenes stuff goes. So does this mean that the snap packages, will they remove themselves cleanly from a system and clean up their own depths and uh, configs? Oh my god, yes. It's it, it's mm-hmm. less complex, in mm-hmm. fact. Mm-hmm. It's so um one of the nice things about snaps is when you when you upgrade them, if anything goes wrong, they automatically roll back. And the same goes Ooh. for the kernel and the OS. So in the event that you have Whoa, whoa, the um, kernel's gonna be a snap? Yep. The kernel's a snap, not the a dev. Well, where's Every the line drawn? Oh, no, no, in terms of desktop. Is that true, or is that you just talking on oh, the phone? Oh, right. Okay. No, on a, on a snappy-based system. So think about the Raspberry Pi running. Sure. Yeah. Or the phone. Uh, snappy, yeah, yeah, or the phone. Then the kernel is a snap, the OS is a snap. On the desktop, it's sl- uh, right now for 1604, it's slightly blurry because you have a mixed mode. Um, you've got the, the Debian world where you can still install Debs, but you've also got the ability to install snaps as well. You've got these two dimensions, as we call them. Mm-hmm. So... In fact, this is where it gets like it fuzzes your brain a little bit. If you install on a Raspberry Pi uh, a snappy install, so it's snappy out of the box, then you can have uh, the classic dimension, which lets you install Debs. And conversely, if you've installed a Debian based distro, like a desktop, there is the snappy dimension. So you, right. on, on either side, you can install both, but they're kind of kept separate. So uh, if 
this actually all gets pulled off and there are actual snaps available for things I care about, like, say, Sublime Text and Dropbox and Telegram and Chrome, which could take a year or so, but whatever. Like, let's just say it takes a while. This, what we are essentially now entering into the era of is an LTS that no longer holds you back from having modern yeah. applications. So where 1404, right. <clears throat> where 14.04 sort of you could say the difficulty with 14.04 was it was always sort of stru- it was always sort of tied down to an older version of GTK which at this point in time now feels a little limiting. Uh, certain things you just can't install etc. Uh, but it, with but with 16.04 if snap packages Fresh. actually take off and there's snaps, I could say can I could install an application like Corebird, Corebird 2 years down the road now. So let's take a, like a hypothetical example, like exactly what you're saying. Let's take 16.04 and 16.04 ships with, I don't know, LibreOffice 5. whatever the latest, 5.1 or whatever the latest version of LibreOffice is. Because it's an LTS, it lasts for, the support lasts for years. And then sometime during that support cycle, the Document Foundation release a new version of LibreOffice, which is like the kick-ass version of LibreOffice that has high DPI, integrated support, yes. uh, online online uh, uh, collaborative editing. Oh yeah, boom, all go. of that stuff. Yes, and more that you could not even think about. Like I we're want talking AlphaGo levels of you know, <laughs> uh, levels of functionality. So imagine they did that. Right, typically we wouldn't put that in an in back in the LTS release because we we freeze the release mm-hmm. and we only do bug release bug updates and and security updates. Imagine that there is a, a snappy package in the store, which is LibreOffice 6 or 7 or 8 or whatever, which is bundled with whatever libraries are required to make that thing work on 1604. Now, you could choose to stay on LibreOffice 5, or you could say, I'll take LibreOffice 6 or 7 because my business needs it, or because I like the bleeding edge, or you know I just want to try this stuff out, and then undo it afterwards and roll it back afterwards. Mm-hmm. And because it's a self-contained SquashFS file, when you uninstall it, it's all gone away, including all the dependencies. That is going to be uh, – and, of course, I know people listening are going to say, hey, there's a bunch of other people doing this. Uh, and I say, great. Totally. And Which validates exactly what we're yeah. doing. If everyone's <laughs> totally. doing it, then right. clearly we're not doing the wrong thing. And it's, it's like a very common – it's like, okay, great. Now ship and uh, let's see what works really well. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Uh, wow. So maybe – is it possible that I, there is something I could play around with for like my 1604 review to talk about the process? Is there something out there already or am I going to – is it going to be like, you know, a down the road 1604 kind of thing? Uh, what, to install like, – I would, I would love to show the process. I would love to install a snap package for the first time on the Linux Action Show during the 1604 review. That'd be awesome. Yeah, you probably could. You probably could install it. There'd probably be a limited set that you'd yeah. be able to install okay. because it's early days. Uh, but there would be a small set that you could probably install um, fairly close to release, if not like wow. soon before release. I think it's and then many it's more a, after. Well, um, another uh, idea for the developers because one of the most, as a developer side, the most annoying thing about Linux distribution is to get it in the repo <laughs> with the snap packages. It seems like uh, you just write a YAML script file, or you know, not script, but a YAML setup file, and then you just submit it, or you build a package, submit it, and you're done. 
and you're in control of that. So if you if you right. want to push a new version to the store every day, like on, nine, on cloud if nine, you want to push out. a new version, right. like yeah, a new version comes out twice a day, and then there's a security update, and then there's a bug fix because you were having a bad day and you did a typo, <laughs> and sure enough, you can shove another one Oops. in the store, and the, your Freaking users will get another. <laughs> And if you and if you push an update that that actually balks on client systems and it doesn't start anymore, never. Then the client systems will roll them back for you. That's nice. That is nice. Wow, I am so. Uh, the next segment, I'm gonna. It's this actually sort of just builds on everything we just talked about in terms of 1604. I I before we go too much further here, I got a uh, just disclaimer sitting in front of me. I do have an Ubuntu Mate. 1510 machine. Yeah, but yeah. that right there, that's Mint. Over there, that's Arch. Upstairs is Arch. I, I mean, I'm, I'm still a multi-distribution man. I love, I still love Arch. But I got to say, I have never been more excited about an Ubuntu release in, uh, I, I mean, I'm, I mean, I, I, maybe since 1204? I, I don't yeah. know. I don't, I, this is genuinely looking like an incredible release. And uh, part of that is because, I mean, the snapback is just sounding awesome. But, What's coming down the road? Uh, I just had a, a conversation last night with Wimpy about some of the work he's done on Ubuntu Mate that's going to ship in 16.04 to to sort of bridge that gap between the traditional desktop environment and <clears throat> where the quote unquote modern Linux desktop is going. And how do you not fall behind and have to become your own island? And that stuff is landing in 16.04. So you take the snap packages, you take the long term support, you take the really great derivatives now. Um, ZFS and ZFS. So, anyways, uh, I'm gonna we're gonna talk about uh, the work that Wimpy did, but first, I want to talk about Linux Academy, our sponsor right here on the Unplugged program, LinuxAcademy.com/slash/unplugged. In fact, live stream. Would you all go there right now? Go there right now, so that way they can see in their logs during the Unplugged show they got a huge spike in traffic. Let's just do it. Let's see. LinuxAcademy.com slash Unplugged. Go there right now. Learn more about the Linux Academy. It's a platform to learn the technologies built on top of Linux and, of course, the Linux fundamentals itself. Either that's in a nugget, a deep dive, two minutes to 60 minutes long, or it's through a comprehensive course with downloadable st- great study guides, audio Video, live streams, all of that, 2,300 and what? 32 courses. Look at that. Instructor help is available when you need it. That's really nice, too. They have a great system. You can go in there and you can tell it how much time you have available in a week. I have time on a Tuesday. I have time on a Thursday. And then, of course, after the Linux Action Show, I'm going to do a little bit of studying, so i got some time on Sunday. Well, guess what? You tell it that, you plug that into the system, it automatically generates courseware for you that matches that availability. They also have other systems that are great for those of us that are time crunched, and when you want to go deep, so many great courses on that. I think their scenario-based labs are pretty unique. Those are really cool labs that put you in the middle of tasks common to everyday environments, so you really get a sense of working out in the field. You can work in their advanced lab environments, completing the tasks from beginning to end. It's an entire scenario that you might find in the working environment. It's the real deal. It is nice. And the thing about it is, is they have seven-plus distributions to choose from. So it automatically adjusts the virtual machine and the courseware to match that distribution. And then they've got graded server exercises, which I think is really cool. They automatically grade your actions so you can see how well you did, which is really nice. And they have systems in there if you got a little bit of exam anxiety, not to mention the community is stacked full of Jupyter Broadcasting members. And they're adding content. It's all your friends? They're working on an Android app. they got an iOS app now. They're updating all the time. They've just moved to new offices with new staff. They're expanding like crazy, and they're doubling down on the content. But what I think is really nice is they're hiring dedicated staff to make sure the back catalog, of, back, the back Cadillac, 
The back catalog. The back catalog of content. Huh. The back catalog of that's harder to say. Than, try saying that, Wes. The back catalog of content. Try that. Pretty sure you said bat catalog. <laughs> yeah. Try saying the back catalog of content. Go ahead. Try it. Back catalog of. See, it's hard. <laughs> try it. Back catalog of content. You had to slow down. Try it. Say it fast, Wes. Say it fast. Back catalog of content. Say it one more time. Back catalog of content. Uh, uh, that's really hard. <laughs> Damn you, Chris. So they got they got dedicated personnel now. Dedicated. Because they're dedicated, Wes. I don't know if you knew this. They're very dedicated. <laughs> to that back Cadillac of content <laughs> over at Linux Academy, which I think is a, just a brilliant move. Uh, great in-depth resources. Go check them out. LinuxAcademy.com slash Unplugged. It's a great fit for you guys. And they're a great sponsor. Thank you, Linux Academy, for sponsoring the Unplugged program. LinuxAcademy.com slash Unplugged. Unplugged. And keep that Cadillac shining, Linux Academy. Keep that Cadillac shining. So uh, so this is this is literally how the conversation goes last – I think it was last night. <clears throat> Because Wimpy, Wimpy knows that we've been following the client-side decoration thing on GNOME and, and the, whole, even, the whole debate between client-side and server-side decoration implementations mm-hmm. and all of that. We've followed it since the beginning, really. So uh, we're talking back and forth. And he says, well, tomorrow I'm going to write up this post about this work I did in Ubuntu Mate. And then about 30 minutes go by and he links me to the post that he'd written because he's so excited about it. He's had to get it out there, I think. So I don't, I don't even want to take it from you, Wimpy. I don't want to steal it. Could you give us an update about some of the work that you did to implement client-side decorations and header bar applications in Ubuntu Mate, which will be shipping in 16.04? Could you tell us a little bit about some of that work you did and uh, why? Uh, I can. So although i've done some things i've not done anything particularly new so there's a hat tip here to wolfgang albrick who is the mate developer who maintains the mate themes and he worked out a lot of this stuff and i've borrowed from the work that he's done in order to do this but what this gives us is that the default themes in ubuntu mate uh, now support client-side application, client-side decorated applications and those applications with header bars. And although they have run in the past, they obviously execute, um, they didn't render correctly. So um, they didn't have the shadowing effects and the popovers didn't render correctly and a whole whole raft of just little annoyances. And it's one of those things that when you're using the computer and I'm using the, the using it day after day and you want some of those newer applications that are using client-side decorations and header bar my favorite at the moment is Corbird, that's which right. is hands down the best twitter client for desktop linux i agree but looked like complete ass and it wasn't <laughs> wasn't you know ubuntu mate wasn't doing justice to this application can, how do i install so it right what, now could i install it in the repo right now so i can show people because i'm on the older version I'll I tell you what I'll is it not I'll easy because of the okay if it's not easy it's okay if it's if it was it's if it was in the software not, boutique for example I would just go ahead and do it yeah it's not easy because it's part of the artwork package which also includes the Plymouth themes and yeah. the structure of the Plymouth stuff has changed in sixteen oh four and isn't backwards compatible what is the version of so, GTK in sixteen oh four I think it's three eighteen okay I think yeah I think that uh, sounds right I think that's what I remember reading too yeah yeah it is yeah. Hmm. So, uh, so Wimpy, one of the first things when you implemented this, and by the way, it, it genuinely looks good. And I, one, of th- one of the things I like about the screenshot is you mixed in traditional uh, title bar applications and client-side decoration. It's very consistent. Uh, 
it took, I think, three or four comments before people are like, why would you do this? This is an atrocity. Client-side decoration should burn. I looked back, Wimpy. We've we've had comments about this, about client-side decoration since 2013. The drama doesn't seem to be going away. Why would the bastion of the traditional desktop, where I go to avoid the atrocity that is unity, why would uh, that implement client-side decoration? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was just channeling. I was just channeling. Go on, okay, Popey. You've got something to say, I can tell. No, no, no. Carry on. No? Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, it's very, very simple. Um, you can't hide from the fact that there are client-side decorated applications and applications using header bars. And there are not a huge number of them, but those numbers are growing. And certainly some of the new applications that are coming along from the GNOME desktop are compelling and use this design paradigm. And to simply cut yourself off from being able to use those applications would be extremely short-sighted for an LTS release. And Mm. thinking about how those applications are going to develop and probably become more prominent over the next five years. So I wanted to get the support in so that people that are using Ubuntu Mate can have their traditional applications. Sure. And, you know, we like that stuff. That's good and insight. That's great. Uh, yeah. But uh, if, if there are one or two client-side decorated applications that are clearly best in class and sure. hands down, you know, the, the best one that you want, you don't want it to look rubbish and you want it to work properly and blend with the rest of the desktop. Yeah, you don't want a penalty for choosing a different desktop environment. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Uh, I was uh, so uh, Michael Dominic, co-host Coda Radio, probably the second mention this episode. He's been he switched to Ubuntu recently when his MacBook died on him, and he's been running fourteen oh four. And one of the applications he tried to install was Corbert, and it's mm-hmm. it's it's not been going well for him. So your insight about an LT needing to have this well supported on an LTS, I think, is a good one because he's not willing to run anything but an LTS. So yeah. uh, he's just sort of stuck in this limbo right now. And uh, it looks really well done. Uh, Kitson, I wanted to give you a chance to jump in, though, because you had something you wanted to mention. Go ahead. I think Kitson went to get some popcorn. I think he's good. Uh-huh. He's good. Oh, that he's nice. good. Well, I did I did find it interesting that people were jumping on the bandwagon saying, by you supporting client-side decorations here, you are gonna, you're going to help uh, – you're going to help encourage more application development like that, which I, I – well, the, the the thing is, is that GNOME is kind of this unstoppable force. Um, so you can't you can't just pretend that GNOME is not out there iterating on their desktop and their applications every every six months, and that this is the design direction that they're going in. That's simply crazy. Well, and um, I think also, uh, and 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 I, well, I don't know. It's not just that, Wimpy, isn't it? Also. Mir and Wayland? Uh, well, to some extent, and you know, I'll cross, I'll cross that bridge in the future. That's uh, that's. I don't. I guess I, if, I, if my 16, understanding 10. is correct, though, the gnome's plan for supporting Wayland is essentially they're going to con- their their continued effort is behind client side decorated apps, and yeah. that's sort of going to be the future direction for Wayland supported GNOME applications. Am I? I yeah. think I'm right. So you, yeah, in yeah. order for Mate Desktop to even begin down the path of Wayland or Mir support, which your parent distribution is switching to, you have to you have to go this route, don't you? Eventually, uh, to to some extent, yes. Okay. And 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 
even if it's eventually, even if it's in another two years for the next LTS, isn't it sensible just to do it now? Yeah, sure. Um, and, and, and learn that. And, you know, this, this isn't stuff that other people haven't done before. I'm, I, I think that Zubuntu have got this to, to some extent as well. Um, and some of the other desktop environments, but this was new to Ubuntu Mate. And I I was Mm -hmm. very pleased with the results Mm -hmm. because uh, I've had, I've had about a week, uh, uh, of, of some spare time with my computer and uh, we're, we've got ahead of the schedule for the 1604 release. So we've got an extended period of being able to do some bug fixing and refinements. And there's been a few things about the themes and the look and feel that I've really never been happy with, but there's always been something more important that needed dealing with. So actually having the time to sit mm. down and sort of smooth some of those rough edges. And then I look back at this, you know, several evenings work and I'd got one computer that was running that last week's image and then this one I'd been working on I thought you know what I really feel like we've nailed this this is such an improvement because there's there's tweaks and improvements across the theming uh, across the board and with the QT4 and QT5 integration that we is activated by default so those are facilities that exist within qt4 and qt5 that you have to hook into but all of that is baked into a so and just to sort of uh, just sort of break that down what you're saying is is you've enabled the support for qt applications to sort of integrate and adopt the look of the gtk application so they should look at place on the mate desktop yeah so those applications that don't define a very specific style will look like a gtk application so the qt apps will look like uh, gtk applications where that's not the case is something like the official telegram desktop client they've got a very right. specific style sure. that they've kind of hard-coded into the application they have linked to their own version that. of qt and all that kind of stuff yeah yeah no. yeah uh this is pretty cool and uh i i think this combined with uh, the software boutique will also be in 1604 right yeah and Corebird is in the software boutique. Yeah, that software, that software, literally wimpy. I'm not kidding. That software boutique is what kept me on uh, the Apollo running uh, 1510. Because uh, when you gave me the PPA for that, all of the extra stuff that I was wanting from the AUR was in the boutique, and I just went through and installed it all in, in, in a few minutes. And okay, well, now I'm good. I don't need to go anywhere. And and now, now I'm actually considering uh, switching my Arch desktops over to Mate for Whoa. a little while. Yeah. I, I know. We'll see. Where I know. <laughs> so you'll um, have to do a lot of heavy lifting for yourself because I know that is legitimately yeah. true, and that's why I'm hoping snap packages. <laughs> that's why I'm hoping snap packages. I, I want snaps for everything, and then I'm back on Ubuntu. Everybody, what's up? Oh, we'll see. I was actually <laughs> full circle. I was targeting for Fedora as my next landing spot, but you you take this, you take the stuff that Wimpy's doing here. I just love it, and then you combine that with snap packages. That's a hard, hard thing. You know, it's going to drive so, me to. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, just just to sort of close out, I, I, I started by mentioning Wolfgang Albrick, and then I've reused his work. I've updated the default themes in Ubuntu Mate, so that's Ambient Mate and Radiant Mate. But all of the uh, uh, official Mate themes also have all of this support built in. So the full theme suite is all CSD header bar oh. enabled. So it's not just one theme, it's everything that comes. Hmm. It is, the next couple of years are going to be really something. Uh, There is really a lot of, you know, 
And and wouldn't it be great in in, in this time if uh, copper on Fedora got even better and the yes. build service had more and more vendors that were just using the build service and snap packages had more and more people creating snap packages and the AUR continues to just be the best thing out there ever? Wouldn't that just really – I mean – Wow. It's so funny. Depending on your perspective on where you sit, software is either the hardest thing to ever do on Linux and and deploy and install, or it is about to be the coolest it has ever been ever. It just depends on your perspective at this point. And if you're a power user who might be buying that uh, Dell uh, Sputnik because you're a developer, then to you, this is awesome. And if you're a regular user, you just got to wait it out a little while and all this stuff will eventually get smoothed out. That is pretty freaking cool. Well, uh, in Mumble Room, anything else before uh, we wrap up on today's episode? Because I'm ready to go get myself uh, some 1604. I'm ready to go install some Ubuntu Mate on my arch. Some snaps. It's going to be a mess up in this place. And you yeah. know what? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I wanted to say earlier before my uh, system decided to do what it did. <laughs> <laughs> when you went AFK, MI, what, we need away from away from Mike. You went AFM. AFM? Yeah. AFM, bro? Yeah. Uh, well, what happened was this push to talk stopped working on me temporarily so i had to log out and log back in i forgive you go ahead but yeah i think supporting the client side decorations in mate is extremely important because it's part of the concept of just working and if an application doesn't just work then people aren't going to use it and then the other part of that is if this is a new person coming to linux suddenly that desktop is a desktop that doesn't work for them and they're not going to recommend it to anybody else so i think it is crucial that these kind of standards are implemented and supported correctly in other desktops hmm good point and you know i just had a real i just realized uh that if I switch away from GNOME 3 because I like Ubuntu Mate's implementation of the desktop, I'm literally stepping away from the, the beast that is GNOME and, and then becoming dependent on Wimpy's brand of implementation. That is a scary – that is a scary – hell have all the power. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Rotten uh, – Cotton Rotten, you wanted to uh, mention something. Go ahead. Oh, about extensions. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just wrote a uh... – a solution for a problem that I had and a lot of people had. Um, in general, there's a preview for it. That's what it looks like without the extension. And this is what it looks like with it. What, well, okay. Tell, describe it for the audio audience. So too. it's a uh, – essentially what it does is take the GNOME extensions website and provides download buttons for the actual extensions. Oh, so cool. I see. Yeah, so it's a little cut off on the live stream, but – uh, and and then I guess that'd be well, – so that way when you reload, you can add them back really quickly, I guess? Yeah, you can add them back with the tweak tool and you can you can, uh, you can can also pick which version you want in case you don't have – like it's not detecting the right version, things like that. Nice. Uh, and it also supports uh, Chromium and basically everything. Oh, that's definitely nice. Yeah, because you know you got to use a browser that has the Netscape plugin API in order to use that. Yeah, you know, this one this bypasses it completely. I'm not sure it's the best way to go, but for you Arch users, oftentimes almost all those GNOME extensions are in the AUR too, and then the package yeah. manager updates them. But while all these... developing it, I talked to a devel- uh, one of the known developers, yeah? and he said that in 3.22 he's expecting to have GNOME software support for extensions. Ooh, and oh. you know, as we wrap up, we should mention too that I think uh, OMG Ubuntu has an article about uh, Canonical looking for uh, a hand on getting their their implementation of GNOME software up to snuff because that like icons and stuff are broken. So you guys, if you are interested in that, you can go check that out. Hey, but you know what, Wes? 
It's a great sound effect. Ooh. That brings us to the end of this week's episode of the, Unpl- of the Unplugged program. 136, in the bag, in the can. Man, Linux Fest is coming up so soon. I'm excited. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, at some point, we're going to have people in the studio. I mean, it's we're not. What are we going to do with them? I don't know. Just join us for the shenanigans over jblive.tv. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com/slash/calendar. Get it converted to your local time zone and submit content to the show by going to linuxactionshow.reddit.com and go to jupiterbroadcasting.com/slash/contact to send us an email. And we'll see you right back here next week. Shout out to both Popey and Wimpy, pro broadcasters. Uh, have you ever, if you ever watch a radio DJ live stream, uh, you get you get kind of weirded out. At least I did the first couple of times I watched like Adam Carolla or our local DJs here on on Cairo do radio. Uh, the music's playing, and the music's like uh, right about to hit. And as the music's hitting the intro, like they sit down and go, "Ah, oh, welcome to uh, blah 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 blah," and it's like. They were just outside in the room three <laughs> seconds ago, and then they sat down and just started talking like they've been there the whole time. That's what Popey and Wimpy did this week because of the time zone change. Yeah, they did. They're recording the Ubuntu podcast, and then they slip into the mumble room, uh, and and uh, some quick, a little quick maneuvering on our part. We bumped the uh, client side decorations at the end of the show when we realized daylight savings. You're giving away our secret. I know, but it was it would all worked out pretty well in the end. So thank you guys for making yes, that work. We you. appreciate it. That was good You're fun. You're welcome. <laughs> I had no idea what the hell you said before yeah, we arrived about Snappy. <laughs> you could have said it was just on the Actually, biggest pile of dog shit before I came in. No, I, I think if you listen back and to the whole... And then I come in and go, yeah, I completely agree. I think if you listen back to the whole episode, it all flows really well. It, yeah. it, it, all, cause it, it all sort of it all went together. So that was pretty funny. Firewatch is loading. Here we go, Wes. I'm excited. Ooh, we get a little, we get a little intro video. All right, bring it. Now the mouse cursor's in the video. Panic Incorporated. Hey, Panic! Sure. Okay, I know Panic. You old hat, you. <laughs> Boulder, Colorado, 1975, Wes. Get ready. Julia. Uh, I don't see anything right now. All I see is this. Oh, okay. I'm supposed to do something. Here we go. She's about your age, late 20s, laughing with well-dressed professors and grad students from a nearby CU Boulder. You, Henry, are out drinking with your pals. You approach her. Bold move, Chris. You are drunk. So, what? <laughs> what's your, you know, major? You, you're pretty. Which I one like do you want to go with? I like, yeah, go I like that, that one. I do too. I like that it's one. It's sincere. Are you guys playing Leisure Suit Larry? You're pr- no, we're playing Firewatch. You're pretty, she says coolly. You're you are not. You are a fu- you are a future hangover. Wow. What? You reply confused. Someone should buy you a cheeseburger, she says. She flags down a waiter, and one week later, you are Julia's boyfriend. Nice move. Thank wow. you, sir. Thank you. All right, now we're in an elevator. 
sort of an emo elevator with a really low frame rate. So I can click on objects. I'm going to pick up this backpack. Hey, look at that. I got a backpack, Wes. Why are you so critical of this elevator? Well, look at the frame rate. I mean, I know this thing's just Intel graphics and it's doing mirroring, but... Oh, what do we got here? Okay. Let's walk forward. Huh. The music is great. So I'm in a parking garage. Do they sell just the music? Yes, they do, actually. Oh, wow. Great. Yeah. Um, they do have that Done. on Steam. Well, I'm going to buy both, I guess. Uh, it's pretty cool. All right, so this is a pretty hip little truck. Let's see if I can get in. Oh, I happen to have the keys. It does seem to match your bag. All right, I'm in the truck now. You date for over a year. She drives you absolutely nuts. It's great. Aw, cute. You move in. You share an apartment near the school with a few with a view of the mountains. You two you two drink beer out on the deck. Here, cheers, Wes. You drink beer just about anywhere. <laughs> That's great. Life is good. Julia wants to get a dog. I'll do it. Dogs are great. There's a scruffy, undersized beagle. Julia's in love. She wants to bring it home. She wants to bring it with her to class. She's also uh, an intimidating but gentle. There's also an intimidating but gentle German uh, shepherd. Nothing bad could happen to Julia while walking this dog. It's badass. Mm, let's go with the G. I don't know. How, what do you think? Well, Ooh, I, I feel like if sound. Julia got the dog that she can bring to class, it would be an expression of, of your love uh, out in public. True. Yeah, true. So then she would be able to brag about you like, oh, yes, my boyfriend got me this dog. As long as she's the one feeding the dog. And, and the thing is, beagles are barkers. They're yeah, gonna, they sure are. They're going to bark. So I'm going to say beagle. What do you say? All right, do it. We name him Bucket. <laughs> Bucket's a good dog, and a week later, you've totally forgotten about the other one. Julia loves him. You love him, too. Does it feel like they're manipulating us? Yeah. 1979, you talk out on the deck. It's summer, 9.30 p.m., and the heat still radiates off the high desert. What do you think about kids, she asks. Oh, boy, Wes. Getting serious. Kids. They're not very smart or good at much. I'm saying (laughs) if you and I had some, a couple of little idiots... I think we should just say yes. All right, do I it. I mean, when this question comes up, she's been thinking about that for a long time. You've got to be <laughs> careful how you answer this one, Wes. Heads You're up. a man with experience. In that case, we should probably get married. Yeah, I would like that, you say. These kids are going to be screwed up enough. It's probably the best that their parents are hitched. You say she's absolutely right. This game moves fast. Yeah, man. It's a modern game. For modern now you're time. getting in your super cool... Wait, no, we just got to have our super cool truck. Ooh, looks like we're out for a hike. Let's go take a little walksies. Thoroughfare Trailhead, right here. Don't forget to check in. Warning, Thoroughfare Trail is not recommended for the inexperienced hikers. Don't bring fireworks. Huh. This is a pretty gorgeous game, even with the graphics settings turned down to work on the Intel graphics. Yeah. How do you check in, Wes? Interesting. Boy, look at this. This is something I think I'm going to play later after the show. This is where I miss the bonobo right now. The bonobo will be able to chew on this. Yeah. This is part of cool. I didn't check in. So if you see where I'm supposed to check in, you let me know. I sure will. Uh-oh. We got a little crossfade happening. Stand by one. Oh, 1980. It's Thursday night, and Julia is four hours late. She doesn't call. You're worried and getting angrier by the minute. Whoa, we got a temper, don't we? Chris? She walks in after you've gone to bed. 
But not really. I'm up. She's not quite drunk, but she's clearly been having a fun time. You fight when she gets between the sheets. You fight when she gets between the sheets. Do you get mad or do you ignore her? Mm. You want to press her? For convenience of time, I said we press her. her. Let's get mad. I mean, Pacific Northwest-wise, we should probably pick You call her an inconsiderate asshole. I don't think I would have done that. No. no. She tells you to F off yourself and not to be such a baby. You call her selfish. She knows you mean it, and it hurts her feelings. Ouch. That was a wrong call. This is an emotional game. Did not mean to do that. Julia still likes to draw. She draws plans from her research. She draws all the places you go. She draws you. You pose and flex like a He-Man. You frolic like Victoria's Secret model. Let's go with the secret model thing. Yeah, definitely. It would be funny. She was right. You are very pretty. Okay. Now we're hiking again. It's like we're thinking of this while we're hiking. It's red out. You see how... Yeah. Yeah. No instruction on where I'm supposed to go. No clues. No mini-map. Oh, this is making me want to just wander around. No health bar. No hit points. No weapon. Nothing. No indication of where I'm supposed to be going. I'm just a dude walking out in the forest right now. This kind of feels like up in the corner. That's all you've ever been, Chris. Although I have better frame rate in real life. Oh, what's this say? Two forks. Okay. There we go. We got it. We got it. Look at it. Let's go. Can I jump? Space bar to climb over obstacles. Space bar. There we go. Perfect. Wow, I did quite the jump there. Ooh, look at that sunshine, Wes. Look at that. Beautiful. 1982. During the summers, you and Julie enjoy walking bucket at night. Aw, bucket. There's a festival in town. It brings folks from faraway places. One of them tries to mug you with a knife. (gasps) Bucket gets kicked. Oh, that dog. Oh, that effing dog. Julie yells. She gets flustered and has trouble speaking when she gets stressed. You confront the attacker. What do we do? Do we scare him away or beat him in? I think we're a gentleman. We scare him away. We scare him away. Okay. Reach into your pocket like you've got a gun and threaten to kill him. You manage to scare off all... Th- all uh, you manage to scare all three of them. Wow. Whoa. Oh, I scare, you scare all three of you and he runs away. Just con- This is moving fast. Mm-hmm. Julia asked to take a different path from that day forward. You say it's okay. You don't want to go that way either. From then on, you walk by the river. The river's pretty anyway. 1984. Plans to have kids have got waylaid by work. Julia gets offered a job at Yale. Yale is in Connecticut, 2,000 miles away. It's a great job, associate department chair. She wants to move. You absolutely do not. Convince her not to take the job or agree if she commutes back and forth. Ouch. Those are Neither of those are very good options. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, Chris, this is getting... This is hitting hard. I'm going to say... Agree if she commutes? I guess so. Although she's, if she's angry at us for that, she's every right to be. You ask if she'll commute back and forth. You don't want to move to Connecticut. She says that'll be hard, but she'll do it for you. Dang. You tell her not to pass it up if she wants. She agrees. She flies back to Boulder three times each semester. 1985. Julia sent home from Yale on paid leave after having an episode... She lost it on college for borrowing books that were on a colleague that were important to her research. She didn't remember she'd happily loaned them to him just two days prior. Jeez. She was found crying in the stairwell. You say that maybe you guys should talk to someone about it. That's one option. 
You make macaroni and drink wine and try to forget about it. What do you think? I say talk to somebody. Yeah, let's do that. Because I'm also worried about that time she came home late. Mm-hmm. Yeah. After seeing multiple doctors and having many tests, they are worried that Julia might be suffering from early onset dementia. She's 41. You decide to keep it a secret for now. For the both of you. Mm-hmm. Now we're camping again. <laughs> there you go, Wes. Here's our journal. Maybe we should leave it right here. Whoa. And let the viewer at home fill in the rest. Yep. I'm I, I'm interested though. I'm hooked. Whoa! That's where we should leave it. Right ah, there. Yeah. Right there. Hot Perfect. Stuff journal. 